What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. I know the calendar can't be lying when it says that there are only 13 days until Christmas, but it's definitely feeling different this year, despite my steady diet of mochas and candy canes. How are you keeping your spirits up this COVID Christmas? That's the question I'm asking over on the What She Said Talk Facebook page right now. So after today's show, pop on over and share your holiday plans with me. But first, stick around to catch today's show because I have another incredible lineup of guests, starting with Jennifer Reynolds, President and CEO of Toronto Finance International. I last spoke with Jennifer in August about the state of affairs for women in this economy and asked her this week to share the good, the bad, and the ugly four months later. Spoiler alert, there is no good, and you'll definitely want to listen to how this could get uglier still. Moms everywhere are struggling to figure out what to put under the tree this year, with a lot of our usual fallbacks either not relevant or not available. Jamie DeMack, a popular blogger and radio personality, is joining me with a fantastic list of suggestions for the whole family. Anne Brody only brought the ladies this week for entertainment with two new releases starring Meryl Streep. A performance so incredible from Drew Barrymore that Anne had to put a call into the publicist to ask if that was really her acting. And a new show on Amazon Prime that will have your heart pounding. Running a social media account for a public health unit is not for the faint of heart during a pandemic. But the social media team at Ottawa Public Health has been garnering recognition from around the globe for their straightforward, fact-filled social media shares that come with a fantastic sense of humor. I speak with the team lead, Kevin Parent, about the strategy behind it all. The only thing many of us are missing this holiday season are the festive events that typically would keep us hopping in December. But thankfully, we can find some online, like Perfect Pairings. Christina Lupkowski from the Substance Group joins me to share details about a virtual brunch experience you can share with friends and family at a distance. Finally, Carol Rose Goldeneye joins me to share details on her latest book, The Narrows of Fear, which is a powerful and compelling novel about Aboriginal women reclaiming and celebrating Indigenous culture and tradition. It's another great show, so let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. You make it feel like Christmas. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own My next guest is the president and CEO of Toronto Finance International, a public-private partnership whose mission it is to promote and develop Toronto's financial services sector and to establish its prominence as a leading global financial centre. Her 20-year career in the financial services industry has included senior roles in investment banking, venture capital, and global risk management. I last spoke with Jennifer Reynolds in August about the impact the pandemic was having on women. And as we approach the end, finally, of 2020, I thought I would check in for an update on the state of affairs for women in this economy. Welcome back to the show, Jennifer. Great. Happy to be here. So, you know, since August, let's, let's review. Where are we at here? What's sort of the good, the bad, the ugly of the state of affairs for women in this economy? 
Well, I think it's, uh, unfortunately, I don't have great news for you. I, I think there was a recent report that came out that really gave us the update and uh, on the numbers for women. And when we last talked, we talked about the phenomena of in um, March and April, men and women lost their jobs in, in equal numbers. And, and when we spoke, though, we were seeing men go back to work and women weren't. And one of the statistics we talked about was that 50% of women who had lost their jobs weren't even looking at that point. And unfortunately, we're seeing that trend continue of women dropping out of the labor market. Um, some recent numbers came out and um, over the last month, you know, we've seen women, their participation in the labor force again go down, whereas we've seen men's go up. So more men are looking for jobs now. Uh, men are going back to work. So uh, that's, you know, that's a troubling trend, definitely. And part of that certainly is that some of the sectors that women work in, like food, accommodation, retail, um, they're not back to work yet, as we know. Um, and, and so they can't go back. Um, but in many cases, it, it is more that they are just dropped out of the labor force altogether. And, and sometimes that is uh, childcare issues coming in there. We're seeing that certainly play out that though our kids are back at school, I mean, it's up and it's down. I, I don't know if you have kids in school, but some weeks they're in, some weeks they're out. You know, mine is at home with me. And, and honestly, that's, that's a big role to have to be the moderator to make sure they're online, they're doing their work while you're trying to work. Uh, so, Definitely. you know, some of the language in and around this whole thing too, is, you know, you use the term dropping out. I've heard the term pushed out uh, mm -hmm. being used because some of these uh, things are not available, uh, like the childcare, as you said, uh, for a lot of women. Well, what would you say to that? Do you think that's true? I think that we are being pushed out in many cases. I just think the childcare that's available, if at all, um, isn't adequate. This issue of sometimes our kids are in school some weeks, sometimes they're not one day, they're in one day, they're out. That's very hard to find childcare for that scenario. Um, and, and then even for those who are able to do their job at home, uh, just that stress of, of trying to do both is wearing thin. Women, are, I think it's just, they're at a breaking point in many cases and something's got to give there. And unfortunately, many are deciding that what's going to give is their career and deciding to take a break from that. And they, you know, women do tend to be the one who put up their hand first and say, I will take the break. And the problem with that is it sets us back so dramatically. It's not just that we lose the income this month or next month that we're not working. We're then out of the workforce for longer and it takes longer to catch up in terms of wages. It takes longer to catch up in terms of experience and skills. And, and that one worries me particularly right now, because with the increased digitalization that's happening with COVID, businesses are changing how they do business so dramatically. And so new skills are being developed for those who are in the workforce today. Um, and if you're not in the workforce, you're behind on that front. I think about even myself, and I am not a technical wizard, but I've learned new technical skills over this period that I never thought I would have, nor did I even desire to have, but now I do have them. And it's just part of the new world. You have to be able to work in that way. And so, so there's a skills gap, there's a wage gap, um, and I just think that will take a long time to catch up. So this is going to have a ripple effect going forward. And, and everyone should be concerned about that. Right. And, you know, when I, I think about that and I think, well, you know, it takes so long to recover the wealth you've lost. You know, we could be looking at it. Like you said, it's not just a month. This could be a decade of trying to recover lost wages, lost skill development. And as we know, if women aren't in the workforce, when these technologies are being uh, developed, often it's, it's, it's through a man's lens that it's developed, which also will cause issues down the road. It really is such a massive ripple effect. 
It, it really is. And one thing that I've done a lot of work on over my career and that I'm very concerned with is lack of women in senior leadership in our economy. Um, and that's a problem that existed pre-COVID. Um, and because I do think that the more women we have in leadership, the greater impact we can have on the world around us. And that's why it's important for women to be in leadership roles, because you have power to change things. Your voice gets heard in a much more influential way. And so we're now losing some of the stats around those women who aren't going back to work. The hardest hit are the 35 to 39 year olds. Of course, makes sense, right? That's probably and a lot of those women are trying to care for kids as we were just talking about. But they're kind of that pipeline for leaders of the future. They already have experience. They're the ones that hopefully people are looking at, could they be the leaders of the future? If we lose those women, then we've got to wait for the next generation. Um, so to your point, it is a decade impact. And, and, you know, we weren't making enough progress on women in leadership as it stood before, um, or economic equality, really. Um, so to get, you know, to be pushed back is obviously not the direction we ever wanted to be going. So I think that this is, a, you know, in my personal opinion, I think this is obviously a time for us to be mobilizing our voice and to be banding together because this is a huge impact. How then do we do that? How are we going to get... Uh, businesses to take this seriously when our voices are being diminished on every front? Yeah, we'd really do need, in terms of the private sector, we need the, to really get them to commit to targets, to if they're losing women in their workforce, or they feel that women aren't uh, moving into senior leadership roles at the pace they were before, or even even faster pace, how are they going to make it happen? How are they going to focus on diversity, get women back, make sure they retain the women they have, they don't lose them, um, be spotting those ones who are under a lot of pressure right now and keep them in the workforce. They need to have supports, of course. If childcare isn't available publicly, what can companies do to help on that front? How can they create more flexible schedules, these types of things? Um, and I, I think a lot of the forward thinking organizations have been doing some of these things, changing work schedules, understanding, looking at employees more holistically around what are they doing outside of their work? Are they running to school to pick up kids? These types of things and trying to incorporate that into workflow and, and meetings and things like that. Um, but the private sector has got to be very focused. I do think the public sector, the government has a role to play too um, in making sure women are getting reskilled in providing things like childcare. So there's both the private and the public sector need to be very focused on this as we come out. This can't be a, let's think about it a year from now. It has to be, we have to think about it now. Yeah, I'm not really sure what wave of feminism we're in here. If we're in now in our third wave of feminism, I'm really not sure. But I feel like uh, the movement is getting uh, a little more vocal uh, as we progress through this pandemic. So it is going to require the pressure that we put on the public and private sector uh, collectively. Absolutely. You've, you've got to constantly be at it. Um, you know, I think I feel the same way, which wave are we in? There's been so many, um, but we, we really, we have to keep at it and you can't sort of put, take your foot off the gas, so to speak. We've got to make sure our voices are heard. So you're the CEO of a company, uh, you know, any, uh, if there's any CEOs listening, mm -hmm. let's talk about some of the critical questions they should be asking right now. Well, I think it got, I'm a data person. So number one, know what's happening in your workforce. Know what your numbers are uh, on gender diversity at each level and set your targets for each level and be very, very disciplined about it. Um, I think it's, it's easy to say a great speech about how you care about gender diversity and you want an equal workforce, but it's making it happen where that's what we, where we are right now. The speeches, that's, that's lovely, but let's actually make things happen. Um, and I think CEOs do need to be vocal about it. Don't get me wrong and say, this is important, we're gonna do it, but show demonstrable results uh, around um, attracting women, retaining women and having an inclusive environment. It's not just about uh, hiring women. You've gotta make sure you actually make them feel welcome. Uh, and, and so 
one thing hopefully that comes out of COVID is that stigma around working from home and, and family. Hopefully it's gone away a bit because I think we are starting to look at our employees, like I said earlier, a little more holistically. Um, and it's not like you have to keep your family life over here and your work life over here. I mean, how can you do that when you're sitting in your living room working? You see kids scooting across Zoom meetings and, and you know, babies crying in the background. That's just become part of the workforce, really. Yeah, it is. And so hopefully we think about that going forward and we keep that. We keep that view that, you know, we're whole people, we have families and, and we have to understand that, you know, a commitment to family one day or a certain time doesn't mean a lack of commitment to your job. There's a balance that or you know, I, I hate to work to use balance because people often think that it's like 50-50 in every way. It's not. Some days it's more family. Some days it's more work. You know, it's all over the board. But um, we do have to look at life that way for our employees, for both men and women. Yeah, I agree. The productivity doesn't have to happen between nine and five. It's really up to the person to get it done. Exactly. Results. So now if people want to know more about you or connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at uh, our website is tfi.ca. Uh, encourage people to check it out. Um, there's an info. If there's any questions or people want to follow up on anything, by all means, please do reach out. Okay. We're going to have you back in a few months because you're always a wealth of information. Thank you. Thanks so much. You don't own me. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Rocking around the Christmas tree, let the Christmas spirit ring. Later we'll have some pumpkin pie and we'll do some caroling. Moms everywhere are struggling to find the perfect gift to put under the tree for their families this year. With so many restrictions currently in our life, that's proving to be a little difficult. My next guest is here to help. Jamie DeMack is an author, blogger, TV, radio columnist who is on a mission to help women and moms find their recipe for happiness. And this Christmas, that means helping us find the ideal gifts for our loved ones. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hi, Candice. Okay, so, you know, you and I are, you know, we know each other uh, off you know, out of this space. And we both agree, we love to give experiences to our kids, but really hard to give those experiences this year. So where do we start? So I think let's start off with some tech ideas because lots of kids are at home e-learning. So it might be a right, a good time to refresh or maybe add a device to the ones that we already have at home. So HP has lots of options for families, whether you're looking for a laptop or maybe a 360 device like the HP Spectre, which is a combination of a laptop and a tablet. So really interesting. And maybe you want to add a printer because I know we had it, we added the printer to our home because all of the printing of um, notes and things that we had to get done from for the schoolwork and the HP Envy is really designed for families and what's great about it is that you also have access to HP printables. So if you have young kids at home, you can print all sorts of things, um, activities, uh, Christmas cards, do-it-yourself projects. So it just gives you activities to do with the kids at home and it's completely free. You know what? I have to agree with you on the printer. I think that's an excellent idea. That is something the whole family would use uh, because we're printing everything. Everything is online. So it have you have to download it and print it uh, in order to get that tactile feeling. So I love that idea. And I think it's also good if you have a home office. Like I'm always home now. So having that printer when I'm doing my taxes or any other thing, it really comes into handy. 
Okay, so I, I agree tech is great, but you know what? There's too much tech as well. So on the flip side of that, how are we going to get these kids off the couch? So I think it's a great time to start a new family activity outside with winter upon us. Maybe you're wanting to start cross-country skiing or you want to get the whole family suited up with skates. If you like to do hiking in the summer or uh, taking nature walks with your kids, snowshoeing can be a really nice option to get outside and get that fresh air. And it's actually quite affordable to equip your family with snowshoes. Even look online for secondhand that people are uh, maybe selling because their kids have outgrown the sizes. But I think it's a great way to get outside, take a nice walk, get fresh air, and then come back in and have some hot chocolate. Yeah, we can't diminish the importance of getting outside. So I think that's a great idea. Um, so, you know, you also talk about maybe building up family rituals. What do those look like? So again, all my ideas today is really keeping it simple. So maybe it's time to refresh your board games at home. So my suggestion is asking every family member to make a list of what they would like to have um, for the new board games. And then going out and getting one for each member of the family. And then each year you can repeat this ritual so that you can actually add to your collection. Then you have four new games or five new games that you're gonna get at Christmas time. Again, games are usually affordable and it gives you that activity to do at home with the kids because we're going to be home for at least two weeks during Christmas holidays. We need to have some quick fun ideas and um, activities to do with them. And for some people, they've been at home for, you know, since March. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think definitely that's that's a, a called for. I think it's important to remember, too, kids get older and they want, you know, uh, I wouldn't have dreamed of playing um, Cards Against Humanity with my children, you know, five, six years ago. But now they're totally appropriate age for that. So it's a good time right. to update. Yeah. Okay. And so um, let's talk about some of the key questions parents should be asking themselves when they're shopping for those gifts. So I think this year is a different uh, time to be shopping for holiday gifts. So I think that I have three questions for you. And if you answer at least yes to one of these, I think you're good to go and put that item in your cart, whether it's online or in the store. So first off, um, is this something that we really need as a family? Number two, will it bring our family closer together? Will it bring us some joy? And number three, does it fit our budget? Because now more than ever, we have to look at our budget in these times. We're all making uh, more wiser decisions. So if you answer yes to at least one of these questions, I say you're good to go. I really love that focus you put on budget because I feel that parents, we all fall prey to this. We feel this need to overspend so that we can give our children everything. But in the end, that's not serving us, right? And it's certainly not doing uh, good things for our kids either. Nope. Exactly. And I think that's a key also for parents this year is taking away the guilt. Um, our kids understand what's happening. If you have a conversation with them and say, hey, it's not going to be the Christmas with the most gifts under the tree, but we're together, we're healthy. Um, it's an exception and kids understand what's happening. So it's okay to take that time and chat with them and explain to them the situation and find other ways that you guys can have that smile, whether it's maybe making a do-it-yourself present for the stocking or baking cookies and giving to others who are maybe more in need. Um, I think that we can all regroup as um, parents and just take off that stress. We don't need it. I agree. I love these tips, Jamie. People want to connect with you. I know you're wonderful to follow along with on social media. Where can people connect with you? You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you speak French, you can find me also on my website, Je suis une maman. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jamie. Happy holidays. Everyone dancing merrily in the new old fashion way.
Joining me for another round of entertainment this week is Anne Brody, and she is bringing a truly women-focused segment this week. Uh, it's all about the ladies, so let's start with Meryl Streep, who I absolutely adore. She's in two pictures this week, and they couldn't be more different. The first one, Let Them All Talk, she plays an award-winning author, heading over by ocean liner to England to get a And those three women are just powerhouses uh, for acting. They are truly incredible. So together, to see them together, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine uh, how great this movie's going to be. So let's talk about the other Meryl Streep. <laughs> and, and this is for Netflix, and it's called Prom. She plays uh, a woman, a Broadway actress, famous Broadway actress, with James Corden, Nicole Kidman in like a B-roll. And uh, a couple other people. So their their big show, Eleanor Roosevelt the Musical, on Broadway closes the first night. This is so bad. So they're wondering how do we how do we recover from this? And then one of them reads a story online about um, a gay girl in Indiana who has been banned from the prom because she's gay. So they said this is going to be our mission. We're going to take a bus out there and we are going to fix things for her. So out they go. They're big city Broadway stars. Nobody there knows who they are. It's it's really funny. And people are slamming it. I, there's some unfortunate stuff. I mean, Corden goes a bit overboard with the effeminacy sometimes. And there's a typical mean girls thing that's everywhere. Um, but I found it quite jolly. It was it was good fun. A nice little escape from reality. Yeah. Yeah. So the next one you have is Drew Barrymore. And I love the story you just told me off air about this. So let's share that with people listening, because I think this is fascinating. Drew Barrymore plays a dual character in this. She plays um, a a sitcom star who lives, who's retired, lives because of a drug thing in her huge Long Island mansion and her stand in from the TV show who comes out and turns things upside down for her. Um, so I watched it with great interest, really concentrating hard. And I actually had to phone the New York publicist to ask if that was really Drew in, in, in both characters. It's a lifetime of acting. And she was brilliant. I, honestly, she fooled me. So it, it's, um, it's not a comedy. It's more of, it's a psychological portrait of this woman and of her stand-in and how the stand-in ultimately comes in in order to take over Drew's life. And Drew just sort of says, all right, well, what have I got to live for? And then she meets a young local carpenter. It's 
really interesting. And, you know, people watching it will find it hard to believe that it's Drew in both characters, but it sure is. And where is that, uh, Anne? VOD. VOD. Excellent. Okay. Last, let's talk about I'm Your Woman. Um, uh, yeah, that's because that looks intense. Crazy. Yeah. It is so intense. It doesn't give up. Um, Rachel Brosnahan from Mrs. Maisel. Uh, nominee last year. She plays uh, a woman who's married to a man she knows to be a thief and a gangster and everything else. They can't have children. One day he comes home with a child with no explanation, a little baby, and hands it to her and says, it's yours. Uh, you know, so it's just a typical thing that happens in her life. But one day, she, a man comes rushing into the house, tells her to pack a bag, pack the baby, get in the car, they're going, and she won't be back something to do with her husband's career. So they chase throughout the countryside and the gangsters find them everywhere they are. And it's, it's quite riveting. And she meets another mystery woman, winds up going to her cabin and then they show up there. It's, it's pulse pounding. <laughs> It is. It is. We only have a few seconds left, Anne. I just want to quickly just mention that you do have a uh, interview with the uh, cast of the Wilds. Uh, people in the Wilds. Yes. It's about teenage girls getting stranded on an island. Turns out there's they're part of an experiment. So it's sort of like Lord of the Flies, but with with girls, right? You got it. Teenage. Excellent. So you have this up on what she said talk.com along with more, including a review of the Bee Gees. So. And Dolly and Parton. Dolly. So people can go and check that out right now. Thanks so much for right. joining me, Anne. Thanks, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Baby, in the morning, I feel all through the night. Managing a social media account can be a little like tiptoeing through landmines. One wrong move and public sentiment can quickly turn against you. So the pressure of running a social media account during a public health crisis can be especially challenging. But the Ottawa Public Health social media team has not only managed to get important updates to the public, but has done it with a little sarcasm, a lot of humor, and a big dose of compassion. Joining me to discuss is social media lead at Ottawa Public Health since 2018, Kevin Parent. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks, Candace. Thanks for having me. So, you know, really, when this pandemic hit in March, you guys hit the ground running. You really were doing an amazing job. So I think what I, my first question for you is, were you prepared for this sort of um, crisis? I mean, not maybe not necessarily a pandemic, but something of this type? I mean, yes and no. Like, I don't think anybody... Uh you know, saw this coming from is on the communications team, I, I, you know, um, but the nice thing about, you know, working in public health is it's, uh, it's evidence-based decision-making, right? That's it's everything about public health is following evidence. And uh, as comms people, the nice thing is that 
in almost any situation, there's going to be evidence to fall back on. So, you know, sure, a, a global pandemic of this magnitude isn't something that anybody really imagined, but there is a lot of research about, you know, communicating in a crisis, communicating risk. Um, and there's all sorts of thinkers that have that have guided our way on that, you know, uh, people like Peter Sandman uh, in Ottawa, you have Josh Greenberg uh, from Carleton University, uh, the late wonderful John Rainford. Um, and these are people who have put extensive, extensive amount of uh, thought and research into how to communicate during a pandemic, a health pandemic, a health crisis. And they they are they're all about, you know, using using empathy, using transparency, being uh, as open and honest as you possibly can. Um, you know, when you think of what's been going on the last little bit, you know, we're, we're asking a lot of people, you know, we're asking people to, to change their behavior, change, change what they're doing. And, and so it's so important that we not only acknowledge, yeah, we understand this is difficult and, and, and take the moment to acknowledge that, but also tell people why we're asking them to do the things we're doing. So, you know, yeah, it definitely, it definitely was a surprise when it happened, but we were able to, to fall upon research and evidence and use that to guide our comms. So, you know, as I mentioned at the top, you know, managing social media is difficult because you are speaking to uh, many different uh, people who have different interpretations of things. Uh, so I think what strikes me the most about your accounts is the sense of humor you bring into a lot of what you share. So where does that come from? Is that you? Is that, you know, is that your team that comes up with these things? <laughs> Oh, I mean, uh, I'm lucky enough to be, you know, just the ginger part of a small and mighty comms team. I mean, there's, uh, I, I'm always fascinated by our, our team where it, it's such an incredible flow, you know, I mean, the, the information comes in, be it, you know, emerging information, emerging evidence, uh, trends in cases and whatnot, like our epidemiology team is just spectacular. Uh, and then they confer with the doctors and then they reach out to the communications team and say, okay, no, this is the inf information that needs to go out. And then we have a web team that gets it up on the web. We have an incredible media relations team who, you know, puts Dr. Etches out there uh, with the local media. And then when it, when it gets to social media, um, we have a team of individuals and yeah, we're, our job is to try to get it out in the most engaging way possible. Uh, I always say that social media is an incredibly busy place. And when we use humor, it's, it's less of the goal. It's more just a tactic. I mean, we're not trying to be funny. We're just trying to be engaging. You know, we're trying to get people to stop and pay attention to a public health unit, which isn't necessarily the, the type of thing that you'd think to go check on social media. Um, and I mean, and even to before, depending on the subject, we are using evidence. You know, there's a lot of uh, communications research that's gone into the importance of using humor uh, for heavily stigmatized subjects like sexual health, for instance, uh, where, you know, there's a lot of people that still believe that, you know, sex should only be talked about in the bedroom. And so we're trying to encourage younger audiences to engage with sexual health messaging online. So we'll, we'll go to humor because it makes it much more approachable. And, for the for the pandemic messaging it i mean at the end of the day we've all been through a lot and uh, i think every now and then we could all just kind of use a moment of levity and so if we can provide that to the audience whilst also giving them some pertinent information it's all the better so tell me how you deal with uh the inevitable uh you know trolls who come at you uh disputing what you're saying how are you dealing with that are you responding or are you just just completely just not feeding the trolls don't know what you're talking about. Never even seen that before. Ever. <laughs> I didn't know anybody disagreed with public health. Um, oh, our running joke is that we could do our own edition of uh, the mean tweets thing. But um, you know what? The, the, we we approach that in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, there's there's a good amount of accounts we just 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 muted. Um, a lot of fake accounts out there. Um, 
but more often than not, what we find is that, you know, somebody might disagree, but their, their information is, you know, they're basing their opinion on incorrect information. So if there's an opportunity to educate, we'll do so. Um, one of the most common ones that we, we saw throughout the summer and even into the fall, there was a, there was a journal article, I believe it was from the Annals of Internal Medicine. And it was looking at the efficacy of masks. And there was a quote that everybody pulled out of the abstract that said, you know, that there's no direct evidence that uh, masks will reduce the spread of COVID-19. But what's interesting is that it was a cherry picked quote because the full quote was, while there is no direct evidence that masks can reduce the spread, there is enough evidence out there uh, to show that, you know, they reduced virus transmission rates, they can protect other people, you're, you know, you're protecting others from you, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that we strongly encourage masks to be mandated and, and, you know, like, it's fascinating how one little bit of information taken out of context will suddenly steer an entire narrative online. So when we come across situations like that, we'll, we'll try our best to, to inform, to educate. And then there are situations where, yeah, we'll just, we'll just have to move on and mute an account, but you and know, have you, you had you take yeah. it with the grain of salt one of the hardest parts have you had go any ahead. moments where, uh, where somebody has um you know you've been surprised where you've actually changed somebody's mind oh goodness yes that that happens quite often um you know it, as recently as uh, that the thread that we put out on friday about you know holiday guidance there were quite a few people that were replying to it uh, or people that even reached out to us and said you know, wow, that was fantastic. They they hadn't thought of it that way, and you know, just based on that moment alone, they are going to change their plans for uh, for the holidays, which was which is wonderful and heartwarming to see. You know, like I said, there's there's that entire team of people who were who were working so hard every day to get this information out there. So seeing that it is having a, a measurable impact is is phenomenal for us. And I think it's worth noting that you know, like I said, this is going beyond Ottawa. Your tweets and your social shares are being shared all over the world. Uh, you know, and this that particular uh, uh, share that you're talking about is, I think it was the 278th day of March or something. Uh, it starts with the you know the Christmas story, which was yeah. quite humorous. Um, that's sort of gone mm -hmm. everywhere. Is your tell me about your social media team then? How many people are on it? The team involved in, uh, you know, the the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram side, like the Ottawa Public Health brand, uh, there's five individuals. Uh, there's there's myself. There's another individual who is actually uh, her background. She's a nutritionist, uh, but she'd done quite a bit of comms work before. We have registered nurses. We have public health nurses. Uh, so Ottawa Public Health is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then we also have other brands. We have a Parenting in Ottawa page. Uh, so that's run by a couple of our registered nurses. Phenomenal, phenomenal resource. So Facebook slash Parenting in Ottawa. It's moderated by nurses every single day. It's a great place for parents to go and ask questions. Uh, just 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 incredible, incredible work. Um, and yeah, so it's it's a small and mighty team. And I mean, if I'm permitted the humble brag on on Twitter, Ottawa Public Health is the most followed local public health unit in North America. So yep. that's yeah, something that we are brag. immensely Absolutely. proud of. Brag away. You're doing an incredible job. So I just want to hmm. quickly just end here and ask you, what's sort of the life cycle of a social share? I mean, I go on Twitter and I just tweet out whatever I feel like. What does that look like for you? Do you write it down? Do you run it through a team before you share it? I mean, how impulsive can you be with what you share? 
I truly believe that one of our greatest assets is, you know, we we are quick. Uh, social media is a very fast-paced environment, so we we do try to keep up with it and be quick. Um, we have a rule we call three sets of eyes. Uh, no post goes out before three people have looked at it, and hopefully three people from you know uh, a few different areas within the comms team. Uh, but more often than not, it's it's that flow of information. Uh, we read every comment, we read every reply, we read all the news feeds. Um, our media relations team are regularly flagging things, you know, questions, recurring questions are getting from media, uh, our other accounts, you know, parenting and auto and that they'll, they'll reach out and say, hey, you know, a lot of parents are asking this question, uh, the doctors, the nurses out in the field, everything. So the information will come in. And then it's just a matter of turning it around as quickly as we can and finding a way to, to get it out. I mean, there's some posts that are written days and days in advance. There's some posts that are written you know, within within half an hour of having gone live, but it's just a matter of that that constant flow of information within the team sort of thing. Well, I really like that advice. I think most people, anybody running a social media team uh, will hang on that three sets of eyes before it goes out. I love that. Uh, people want to follow you on social media and connect with you. Where can they do that? Obviously on Twitter, you are. We are at Ottawa Health on Twitter, uh, Instagram. We are at Ottawa Health Santé, and uh, on Facebook, it's Facebook slash Ottawa Health, uh, Ottawa Health, or uh, Facebook slash Parenting in Ottawa is that that PIO site. And yeah, we've got our Ottawa Public Health.ca website too, which we're updating about 650,000 times a day, and that's where you can find us. <laughs> Wonderful! Thank you so much for joining me today, Kevin. This is great. The one thing many of us are missing this holiday season are the festive events that typically would keep us hopping in December. Just because we can't go out, though, doesn't mean we can't attend great events with many of them going virtual this year. And of course, it's even better when an event gives back. Christina Lipkowski is the Director of Operations and Accounts at the Substance Group and is here to share details on Perfect Pairings, a virtual brunch cooking experience during the holidays. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you so much, Candice, and um, I really appreciate you bringing me on today. So, you know, I, I was, I had an interview earlier with someone and we were talking about how, you know, typically we like to give experiences to people um, and we're sort of struggling with that. This sounds like actually an experience you can gift to people this holiday season. Absolutely. Um, this virtual brunch experience is good for so many people. Um, it's funny, my mom is actually giving this to a lot of our family members this year um, and it's going to allow us all to be able to participate and be able to discuss something that we've really enjoyed without being able to be together this holiday season. So it really does fit a lot of people. It's a great idea. So tell me about the two hosts of this event. So the chef is going to be Chef Matt Basile. Um, he is the brunch king. Um, he had a restaurant in Toronto called Lisa Marie, which was a brunch, very hot spot. Um, we actually went there and he creates very unique combinations. Um, so he recently partnered with a company, um, McDonald's, and he puts together these crazy combinations of using McDonald's foods. Um, he had s'mores pancakes at Lisa Marie, which were amazing. Um, and he just does great things with food, but he takes two unusual combinations and puts them together. So this is really kind of his style. 
And I can um, only assume that means your unusual combination of his co-host. <laughs> Correct. Yes. So his co-host, um, and this is uh, the whole concept of perfect pairings. It's taking two, two unusual things that you wouldn't pair together and putting them together for a great combination. And we really thought that in today's world, we all have I guess you could say some stereotypes of things that shouldn't go together. And so we actually wanted these things to go together and create a great harmony. Um, so our, our co-host is going to be Elias Theodoro, and he is a uh, former UFC fighter. Um, and he actually is well known for uh, doing a lot of um, interesting campaigns. He did a modeling watch campaign. Um, and he's just a really great guy. Um, so the two, two together are a really good combination. So there is obviously, you know, in this year more than ever, that's important to give back. And there is a give back portion of this, uh, of this uh, event. So tell me where are some of the funds going for this? Right. So um, a few years ago, we actually created the first autism um, job fair in Canada. And we, and that is with our, our charity arm called Substance Cares. Um, and my boss and one of our colleagues thought of this great idea of bringing autism awareness um, to Canada. And a lot of people think that people with autism um, can't hold down jobs, but they're actually great at jobs. And they are quite smart at a lot of things that they do. So this event, the proceeds from the event are going to go to um, that job fair, the autism, um, autism speaks job fair. Oh, that's, that's incredible. I love that. So when is this event then? When is it happening? So the event is on December 27th. So it's just after the holidays. Um, and uh, it, it's at, uh, oh, it's so many different time zones. Um, so we had to kind of combine all these different time zones. So depending where you are, but it's on December 27th. So just after the holidays. Okay. Which is a perfect time because everybody will be at home. <laughs> we have yeah. nowhere else to go. Uh, and I love the idea of connecting with people in other households to do this, not just the people in your own household, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, like, I think that there's a lot of people that can attend it and you can do it with everyone in your house, your whole family, um, you can get people pouring and stirring. And I have a two-year-old and he's going to be stir helping me stir that batter. Um, and it's something you guys can talk about and uh, you'll be able to talk about it with your friends and family if you do it with them. And at the end, you get to all eat together virtually, which is also very nice. So if people want to buy tickets for this, where can they go? Um, so we are selling tickets on the Universe event platform. So you can go to universe.com slash perfect pairings. Um, and you can also check out our social media um, and that's at Substance Group and you can find the links there. And uh, are these tickets available? Is there like a sellout or are they available right up until the uh, event date? So they will be available until the event date. Um, I would recommend probably until a bit, about a week before getting your ticket um, just because you'll be sent the ingredient list um, and then uh, you can just plan that with your holiday shopping. Okay, incredible. I love this. Thank you so much for joining me today, Christina. Good luck with this event. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You and me, baby, we're stuck like glue. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 The Region.
Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Rose Golden Eagle grew up not knowing anyone else of First Nations background, having been taken from her mother and adopted to a white family as an infant. Now she uses her voice to share stories and poetry of First Nations people. Her latest book, The Narrows of Fear, was just released in October, and she joins me today to discuss. Welcome to the show, Carol. It is so wonderful to see you. Thanks for asking. So tell me, what was the inspiration for this novel? Well, the inspiration is mostly me as an observer for many, many years. Um, As you said, I did not grow up within my Indigenous culture because I was one of those kids who was scooped up in the 1960s. So my family is from northern Saskatchewan, but I grew up in a farming community around Regina. And... Once I reconnected with my culture and my family and traditions, I noticed there was a really terrible imbalance between men and women within our Indigenous communities. And saying that, I noticed that women were too often told you're not allowed to do this, or they were put in their place, or they were criticized for not wearing the right clothing, or things like that. You're not allowed to take part in ceremony. You're not allowed to drum. You're not allowed to pick medicine. And a lot of times, even today, women will be told something and they don't want to appear disrespectful. And so they don't say anything to the person. But privately, they will be very upset and and confide in someone like me or other friends. So I've been watching all of this thinking, all right, I have to ask, why are we not allowed to do this? So I have, and the response has always been, because you are a woman. (laughs) So I'm thinking, okay, you know what? The women in our Indigenous communities are amazing. They're talented, they're educated, they're dynamic, they're community builders. And it is time for us as Indigenous women to support each other and move forward because our gender is awesome, and I think it's important for us to take that step, especially in 2020. So this book is set in, uh, it, it, it's modern times then, it's not a historical look back, it's set in current times, right? Well, it's actually set about maybe 30 years ago, and the reason for that, so it's set in the 1980s, and uh, the reason for that is because in a way, it's a sequel to my first novel, Bearskin Diary, which was also set in the 1980s. And so there was a scene in the first novel where the main character of Sandy, who was also scooped up and grew away from, or she grew up away from her culture, she's now in her late 20s and she rediscovered herself and her family and, and again, the culture. And in that novel, there was a, a small scene where she had reconnected with her biological family, but that wasn't the storyline of the novel, but it was important that she reconnected. And so a lot of readers said, you know, I really wanna find out more about the family dynamics, about where she's from, about who she's related to, uh, what is her family like? How does she get along with them? And so in a way, The Narrows of Fear is 
kind of a sequel, but even if you didn't read Bearskin Diary, you would be able to understand, you know, the references I make to, to what she does for a living and uh, a couple of other uh, details. But yeah, so it's sort of contemporary times. I guess it depends on what age you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also just, you know, as well as also, you know, uh, amplifying women's voices and encouraging women to have a voice, you're also, um, there, you have a, a, a support for the LGBTQ community in this book as well. I thought it was really important to bring that up. And the reason, again, is me as an observer, because I am a, a former journalist. And so I'm always observing everything. I think it's one of those things that you just don't stop doing, even if you're not uh, a working journalist. And over the years, too many times, especially sitting with Indigenous youth who are our next leaders, I've heard terrible, terrible comments. Things like, oh, that's so gay. And that is such a horrible, horrible thing to say. Um, it really bothers me that there's lateral violence like that towards men or women who are, are gay and uh, in our communities, we cannot be doing that sort of thing. We have enough discrimination coming from the outside. We really need to support each other. So there's a dynamic with, with that storyline too, but you'll have to read the book to find <laughs> And that is exactly what we want people to do. So where can they find your book? It is available at any bookstore, although I always encourage people to go to independent bookstores. I think it's really important, especially at this point in time with the pandemic, to support our, our local businesses. But Inanna Publications is the publisher of the Narrows of Fear, Wapawakochikinik, which is the Cree word for it. And Inanna, I-N-A-N-N-A dot C-A is their website. You can order the book from the publisher as well. Okay, and if people can people find you online anywhere? Are you on Twitter? Um, I'm on. <clears throat> I am on Twitter, C Golden Eagle, or I have a website at uh, carolgoldeneagle.ca. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Carol. This was great. All right. You take care. That's it for what she said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Make it feel like Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.